Our second lesson comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, and this can be found on page 244 of the New Testament section of your Pew Bibles. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. After 13 years of training and preparation, the astronaut Michael Massimino was in space for the very first time. He had left the safety of the shuttle to go out to the Hubble telescope and repair an instrument that had failed. But in order to repair this instrument, he first had to remove an access panel that had 117 small screws in it. Now, when this access panel was built, the engineers thought they would never actually need to open it. So they put some glue on the screw threads. But the instrument behind the panel had broken. And for the last five years, Massimino and his colleagues had designed over a hundred new space tools that would allow them to get the screws out and the panel off so that they could repair the instrument. Massimino had spent countless nights and weekends practicing with these tools in a simulator, and finally, the day he had been practicing for was here, out in space, attached to the shuttle by nothing more than a tether, Massimino started to remove a handrail that was blocking the access panel. Three out of the four screws holding that rail in place came right out, but after working for a moment on the fourth, Massimino realized it was stripped. It wasn't going to come out, which meant the handrail wasn't going to come off, which meant he couldn't get to the access panel and the 117 screws he'd worked for five years figuring out how to remove, which meant he couldn't repair the instrument, which meant all those NASA scientists wouldn't be able to find out whether there's life on other planets, and it was all his fault. Massimino looked at the astronaut next to him, but that guy was just a rookie. He was there to hold the tools. He didn't know what to do. Then he looked over at the shuttle where his five crewmates waited, but none of them had spacesuits, so they couldn't leave the shuttle to help him. Then he looked down at the Earth, 350 miles away, and thought, there are billions of people down there, and not one of them can help me. 
Remembering that moment later, Massimino said, I felt this deep loneliness. It wasn't just a Saturday afternoon with a book alone. I felt utterly detached from the earth. I was by myself, and everything I knew and loved was far away. We don't have to travel into space to know that feeling, that deep loneliness, that utter detachment, the sense that we might just be alone in all the universe. The experience of this existential loneliness is part of every human life, and it underlies both of the scriptures we heard today, scriptures that take that kind of loneliness and turn it into a deeply felt yearning for belonging with God, scriptures that imagine what it might be like to be welcomed into God's own home. And what is the concept of home, if not the place where we finally truly know without any doubt that we belong? And yet all too often, in the homes we have known, we experience something closer to what Massimino felt when he reached the limits of his abilities, when he knew he could not solve the problem in front of him and thought, it's all my fault. I failed myself and everyone else. Too often, home is a place where we experience an acute sense that maybe we don't belong. In one of her books, Brene Brown describes moving to a new school in Houston, Texas, near the end of eighth grade, just in time to try out for the high school drill team, the Bear Cadets. She writes, This was to be my everything. In a house increasingly filled with the muffled sound of my parents arguing, that drill team was my salvation. Just picture it, lines of girls in white fringed blue satin vests and short skirts, all of them wearing uniform wigs, white cowboy boots, small white cowboy hats, and bright red lipstick strutting into football stadiums filled with crowds, afraid to leave their seats during halftime, lest they miss the high kicks and perfectly choreographed routines. To this day, she says, I'm not sure I've ever wanted anything in my life more than I wanted a place on that drill team. The perfection, precision, and beauty of it would not only offset the growing turmoil at home, but also deliver the holy grail of belonging. I would be part of something that literally did everything in lockstep. A bear cadet was belonging personified. The day of tryouts arrived. When she got out of the car to head into the school building, she saw that every other girl was made up and dressed up from head to toe in blue and gold, the school colors. She had on no makeup and was wearing gray cotton shorts over a black leotard, but she knew the routine and she knew it well. Later, before leaving on a family trip, her parents drove her by the school so she could look at the list and see the names of those who had been selected. Her name wasn't there. She was crushed, but what happened next made her feel even worse. 
She writes, I walked back to our station wagon and got in the back seat and my dad drove away. My parents didn't say one word, not one single word. The silence cut into me like a knife to the heart. They were ashamed of me and for me. My dad had been the captain of the football team. My mom had been the head of her drill team. I was nothing. My parents valued being cool and fitting in above all else. I was not cool. I didn't fit in. And now for the first time, I didn't belong to my family either. Psalm 84 is a pilgrimage psalm written about the holy pilgrimage to God's temple in Jerusalem. It also imagines all of life as a spiritual journey, the destination of which is the home the psalmist describes in this extraordinary language, God's dwelling place, a place where all God's creatures live in safety and security and spend their days praising God. Likewise, Revelation 21 paints a picture of a new heaven and a new earth where God dwells with God's creatures, where there is no more suffering or pain, no more alienation or shame. There is only the God who draws so close to us that God wipes away the very tears that fall from our eyes. As beautiful and meaningful as both of these texts are, and I will admit these are two of my favorites, there's a problem with both of them. And the problem is this. They might just lead us to think that the only time and place we will experience this kind of belonging, this kind of home, is in some far-off, distant unattainable future, which is simply not good enough. Because this home, this place where all people can experience belonging and acceptance, is a home we desperately need here and now. In one of the last things he wrote before he was murdered, an essay titled The World House Martin Luther King Jr. noted that for peace and equity to be realized, individuals and nations would have to look beyond their own interest and work for what is best for all humankind. He called for a revolution of values, for the formation of a worldwide fellowship that lifts neighborly concern beyond one's tribe, race, class, and nation. This is a call for an all-embracing and unconditional love for all people in contrast to the self-defeating path of hatred and retaliation. In his conclusion, King wrote, We are now faced with the fact that tomorrow is today. We are confronted with the fierce urgency of now. King wrote those words more than 50 years ago, but they are no less true today. In a world where governments turn on their own people, refugees spend years in what was meant to be temporary shelter, racism and sexism and xenophobia continue to run rampant, countries and individuals battle one another for resources, 
and in so doing do untold and irreversible damage to the planet we call home. This World House King envisioned 50 years ago still feels impossibly far off. And so we project it, just like the psalmist, just like the author of Revelation, to a time and place we will only experience after our earthly lives are over. We sigh, and we assume that such a world, such a home, is consigned to a time and place far, far away. Speaking of far, far away, back up in space, Massimino was still trying to figure out how to get the handrail off to get to the access panel. He was stuck until he received a call from ground control that gave him a new idea to try. Lo and behold, the idea worked. He got the handrail off, got to the access panel with all those screws, got the screws out, put in a new power supply, and got that instrument up and running again. A few days later, he returned to Earth. Driving home to his house, his wife told him that when he was out on his eight-hour spacewalk, she was watching on the NASA television channel. She said she could tell how sad he felt when he thought he wasn't going to be able to make the repair. She could hear it in his voice, she said. As he spoke to ground control, she had never heard him sound so sad. When she said this, he realized that at the very moment he felt most alone, his wife was thinking about him. Just then they turned onto their street and he saw that the whole block was decorated with American flags. His neighbors were waiting for him. And when he got out of the car, they greeted him and hugged him and told him how proud they were, how they'd been thinking of him the whole time he was in space. The next day, he learned that while he was up there feeling utterly alone, the engineers and scientists at ground control were running around doing everything they could to solve his problem, including contacting a space center in Maryland that pulled together a team on a Sunday, the team that eventually came up with a solution. And he realized that at the very time he felt most alone, totally detached from everyone on earth. He wasn't alone at all. His family and friends, the people he worked with, people he loved, people who loved and cared about him, were with him every step of the way. Home is not some fantastic idea that cannot be fully realized in this life. Home is not some place we long for, but can never actually know. Home, our true home, our home with God, a place where everyone belongs, no matter who they are or what they've done, that is a place God is working tirelessly to create for us all. And this is the work God invites us to join, here, in this very place, now, in this very moment. How? Well, one of the ways we join in this work is by giving generously, even extravagantly, to this church, this place 
where we get to practice creating the home described in Psalm 84 and Revelation 21. How we spend our money matters because it's one of the ways we ground ourselves in the present. It is also how we invest in the future to ensure that both while we're here and after we are gone, this particular manifestation of God's home on earth is a place where everyone belongs, where all ages and backgrounds come together to serve our community and engage in meaningful worship and grow together as Christ's disciples. It is an act of radical trust to give generously to what seems like an idea that can never truly exist. But a place where all are at home with God can exist. It can exist here and now. It exists when we admit wrongdoing and ask for forgiveness. It exists when we extend forgiveness to someone who has hurt us. It exists when we have the courage to welcome those whose differences make us uncomfortable. It exists when we make space in our hearts for others by giving away some of what we cling to so tightly. It exists when we imitate God, who has set for us the ultimate example of boundless generosity. The poet Steve Garnis Holmes suggests we join in God's work of creating a home, both now and in the future, in this way. Make of your life a welcome home. Make your heart a buffet of goodness. Make yourself a front porch wide, two chairs, only one step up. Think of yourself as a free sample a rocking chair, a bench by a lake. People need a place to belong, to matter, to receive without question. Round up all your furniture of love and respect, all your heirlooms of special treatment, and put them out on the curb. Go ahead and make a sign that says, free. It's not about airing your laundry or being yourself. It's about letting them do that. After all, you live in God's house, who has given you the run of the place. Amen.